podcast, an Odyssey original featuring the most notable names in the MLB and all around sports each and every week. Hi, Brett. Good to have you back. All right, Brett. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good. It's July 4th. I'm ready to go. Ten wins in the last 15 games for our Cleveland Guardians. Tell us it's not a mirage, Brett. It's not. It's not. We. I've been harping on it, and I'm going to keep harping on it. It's a really, really mediocre division. So why the Cleveland Indians shouldn't be able to win that division? Uh, without a question. I at this, at this stage, I think they're going to come out on top in that division. There's obviously going to only be one one team. There's not going to be in a wild card from, from the Central. So I, I think Cleveland's the team to beat. I just don't think the Twins can keep it up uh, through a full 162 games. I, th- I think the the roster and the, uh, the the Cleveland roster when you when you match up, I, I think they come out on top when it's between them and the Twins. And I, I think the the teams below them, Detroit, uh, Chicago. You know, Chicago's been that disappointment. I can't put my finger on it. It's been over two years now, and they continue to to not play up to what not only my, but I think a lot of people's expectations was for that Chicago uh, Chicago White Sox roster the last two years, and, and Kansas City kind of goes without saying at this point. So I think I think Cleveland's a team in the in the Central. So Brett, we're kind of getting close to the crossroads part of the season where the trade deadline is, and, and teams may look to make some moves. And we, on on the show, I've been kicking around the idea of what you do with a Med Rosario sitting there at shortstop. You know, it's a He's an interesting player in that he seems like he's kind of the straw that stirs the drink with this lineup of, you know, he brings the, you know, philosophy that this team wants to play with. It is clearly a leader inside of that clubhouse, but he's also a free agent at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. What's it like inside of a clubhouse with that kind of guy who maybe isn't performing on the field at the level they should, but is that heart and soul? And how important is that? But he's performing well now. Right, and that is that's very important. You know, he's he's playing the the toughest position on the field. And that's shortstop, and and as long as he does that, if he if he carries a lot of weight in the clubhouse, you actually have to be one of those guys in the clubhouse on the ground to give you a more in depth uh, <clears throat> interpretation of how much he means to that team. But I've definitely played with players that were intricate part of winning teams. I think it's not even a consideration at this point uh, to move Rosario. I don't see. You know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about, well, will Bieber be available? How can you have Bieber available when you're in this division with a really good chance to win the division? You don't even think twice about it. There's the one thing I learned as long as I played is you don't you don't take for granted getting to the postseason, let alone getting deep into the postseason, let alone World Series and winning a World Series. They don't. The opportunities just aren't there. They're not plentiful. When I was a young player, I I, went, I remember my first couple postseasons in Cincinnati, and it was like, okay, went there, got beat by the Braves. Okay, we'll be back. And, and I'll have plenty of opportunities in my career, and I'll probably win a couple rings. And then all of a sudden, 15 years later, I look back and go, wow, what what a great run. I, I, I got the opportunity to play on some great teams, but it just shows you how tough it is to win. And any time you have an inkling – of a chance, I, I think you got to be all hands on deck and go for it. I think Cleveland at this point should be thinking, okay, at the trade deadline, who are we going to add to this roster to bolster it uh, to make sure we win this division? So uh, it'll be interesting coming up. A lot of teams uh, are going to be on the bubble. Are they buying? Are they selling? And I think that'll shake out as the months uh, 
progresses on, we get past the all-star break, and you get late into the month, then people will be put in a position on what are you going to do. I think Cleveland at that point is going to probably be in an even better position to, to absolutely be a buyer, not a seller. And uh, it'll be interesting to watch how it all shakes out across uh, all of Major League Baseball. Brett Boone joining us. He's the Odyssey Sports MLB yeah. insider. The Guardians are second. We'll have the are, have struck out the second fewest times of teams in Major League Baseball, Brett, and that coincides with hitting the fewest home runs by far and being one of the lowest scoring teams in the league. It sounds like a terrible combination. They seem to be allergic to big guys who might swing yeah. and miss but hit the ball out of the park. Can you win in Major League Baseball today without having a couple of thumpers in the middle of the lineup while trying to put the ball in play? And because I think I think go ahead. It it doesn't seem to be working real well offensively here, despite the fact that the division is waiting to be won and they're right there in contention. Yeah, I think yeah, I think today the the premium that's put on by these organizations today is hit the ball out of the ballpark, get on base via the walk. Uh, I still think baseball for over uh, 120 years has done it one way. Yeah. Striking out is not good. It's bad. I think we've gotten lazily put into the mindset of it's okay to strike out. I see the players today. It's not a big deal to strike out. It is a big deal to strike out. When do you strike out is, is an even bigger deal. Runner on third, less than two outs. Um, but it just seems that we've gotten away from that. I like the teams that put the ball in play. These guys steal, uh, they steal bases. Um, they defend and they, and they pitch. Uh, their, their offense, I think it's going to fall. You know, I look at that lineup up and down. I, I think Naylor's having a really nice year. Ramirez is the perennial all star. He's their, he's their guy, has been for a long time. But you look at the, the rest of this roster, it's pretty. It's a pretty layman roster. It's kind of a, a lunch pail type roster. Bring it, get the job done, put the ball play, do the little things that, that win ball games. Um, but these guys aren't going to overwhelm you. They're not going to be an Atlanta Braves who, who, come, who come with a lot of thumpers in the lineup. The Texas Rangers come to mind um, as, a, as a big offensive team. The Tampa Bay Rays are doing that. They don't have a lot of star power, but they're doing that. They're leading the league in home runs in, over there in the American League. So, there's there's several ways to do it, and I think this Cleveland with this roster with this makeup, you don't have a lot of guys that are going to hit the ball over the fence. So you got to find other ways, and and those ways definitely work. And I I know it's 2023 that the home run is sexy, but playing the game right, manufacturing runs, playing great defense, and most importantly to me, I always look at this: pitching's the most important. Always has been. Always will be. You get a great pitching performance on a given day. I don't care who's on the other team. I don't care how ferocious, how, how stacked that lineup is. Put the all-star lineup in there. If you have a great pitching performance, it's no match, or the hitting is no match for it. So pitching always wins for me. I always go after pitching first. Yeah, it's nice to have a couple starts. It's nice to have a Mike Trout and an Otani in the middle of your lineup, but, but that costs a lot of money. <laughs> And, and Anaheim's about going to be in a position uh, with that, with the Otani situation. But there's other ways to do it. And I think Cleveland has proven that they do it the other way. They got to the postseason last year with a very similar roster. You've got a great guy at the helm in, in Tito Francona. So uh, they're going to have to rely on their defense. They're going to have to steal bags. They're going to have to manufacture runs. And they're going to have to pitch. 
Brett Boone, Odyssey Sports, MLB Insider, joining us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. All right, Brett, we are most teams are past the 81 game mark, which means we are past halfway. So we have watched a lot of these new rule changes. What are your thoughts on what we've seen, and have they been good for baseball? I think I'm pleasantly surprised. I was one of the biggest skeptics this last offseason when they were announcing the pitch clock, and I thought, you know, we have a lot of pride as Major League Baseball players. We're the only major sport that, that we're not on a clock. And so I had an open mind. I went into it. I saw the spring training results, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'm talking to people, players, coaches, managers, and, and they all seem to like it. I have to say at the midway point, and, and maybe it, it slipped my, my mind as time goes on, you know, we kind of got lackadaisical in our ways of, of it, myself included, take your time, take all the time you need. And it became methodical and the games got longer and longer and longer. I thought the pitch clock was going to be a big problem, but after watching it, I think it's great. I think the tweak they need to make to it, and maybe they will next year. The only problem I have with the pitch clock, is you have to engage at the eight second uh, at the eight second mark, and then the pitcher can hold the ball on you as long as he wants. I've always had the option as a hitter to step out if the pitcher was holding the ball, playing that kind of cat and mouse game. Right. Now you have to engage the the hitter has to engage at eight seconds, but the pitcher doesn't have to deliver until the zero hits. So I think next year maybe you're going to see a little bit of a compromise. Maybe you have to engage at the five second or the four second mark, so there's not that long lull force you into a timeout, or maybe you've already used your timeout. But other than that, I think it's been a home run, and I think the games are crisper. You kind of have an idea when it's going to when the, – when the game starts, you have an idea when it's going to end. It's a, it's a shorter spread. It's going to end at the 2.30 to, to 3-hour mark, and you can kind of guarantee it. I think it's nice. I think the fans love it. Win all around. Brett, do you like the guy on second base in extra innings? I hated it at the beginning. Uh I've kind of gotten used to it now. Like, you know, in, in our profession now on the media side, we're trying to watch games. We're trying to get intel. We have a show to do. We've got to find out what happens. It's kind of like, all right, get the game over with. So, yeah, this is going to get it over a little bit. The purist in me hates it hates it to pieces. I like that the postseason, they get rid of it, and you play regular baseball extra innings or extra innings. Uh, another thing I didn't touch on was the, the, the disengagement rule. I thought, you know, well, that's too big of an advantage for the elite base stealers. But then I thought about it. We've really gotten away uh, in Major League Baseball from stealing bases. So now I think the big picture was in their their motivations when they put these rules in were to encourage stealing bases again, getting back to how baseball has been played for years and years. And I think it's done just that. You see people stealing bases now. Acuna's on, on pace in Atlanta for 80 bags this year got the young kid, I believe his name is Ruiz with the Oakland A's, just got his 40th stolen base. I think this is cool. It's encouraging stealing bases again. And uh, this maybe was the only way in the modern day to get guys back to playing that kind of baseball. All right, Brett, Seattle's got the all-star game. You, of course, spent a good amount of time in Seattle. What are fans in store for? Well, I, I, I'll be up there. I go up there Friday. I'm, I'm up there for all the festivities through Tuesday. And, uh, you know, in 2001, the last time the, the game was there, uh, was obviously that historic year for, for myself and, and, the, and the Seattle Mariners winning 116 games. It couldn't have been better timing that Seattle got the All-Star game. That Safeco Field was brand new. 
Uh, the, the, we were up like 15 in the division. Everybody's having uh, career years. We had eight all-stars representing Seattle. So we had kind of had the perfect storm. Fast forward 22 years later, uh, the Mariners aren't in that position. However, they've just won five in a row going into the break, so there's a little buzz in Seattle. But it hasn't been that monumental year for them. I think they had a couple cards just added. Uh, Castillo was the original pick, and I think Kirby and, and Julio have been added. Julio's going to be in the home run derby. That's going to be a really cool thing for him individually. Uh, but I'll tell you, Seattle really turns it out. You know, it's a great city. It's a city that doesn't really get that much credit for being a baseball city. But I'll tell you, I lived there in the early 2000s. I lived it when, when it was 50,000, 45, whatever that stadium seats, 50,000 50, full Monday night against the Kansas City Royals. And it was like a rock concert. So if you win, that city will show up. I think they'll do a great job putting on a great show for, for Major League Baseball and, and this year's All-Star Game. Always great to have you with us, Brett. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. Guys, appreciate it. All right. Brett Boone, Odyssey Sports MLB Insider, host of the Brett Boone Podcast. It's an Odyssey original. Make sure to follow the Brett Boone Podcast on the Odyssey app or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.